heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome, folks, to episode number 96. I am just getting that much closer to 100 of YWC Football Talk. And with me today is a man who needs no introduction at all, and that is Russell Baxter, at Bax Football Guru on Twitter. Russell, how are we feeling today? I'm great. You know, just for the record, I'm 61 years old, so obviously, like your show, I am getting closer to 100. It's all good. I I don't judge, but you know what? I I just I was a guy who start when I started this podcast back in January 2020. I had no idea that I'd be getting this close to 100. I thought I would just do this for fun here and there, but a year and a half later, here I am. Absolutely, yep. It's, yeah. it, you get to talk for sports. It's a lot of fun, and uh, you know we're getting ready to embark um, on the NFL's 102nd season. And safe to say, it's going to be a lot different. Than last year's season for a lot of different reasons, but probably the most significant reason is the fact that we're going to have a 17-game regular season, which, by the way, and this just popped into my head, there have been players in the NFL because of when they either were left by a team or traded to a team, and I think Jerry Rice falls under this category one year, that have, have played 17 regular season games in one season. Yeah, and I think there was a couple – I think it was Emmanuel Sanders even in uh, two years ago when he got traded from Denver to San Francisco because San Francisco had such an early bye week that he right. had the same thing. So he didn't get to have a bye week at all. Right. Yeah, yeah. So just like little tidbits like that. Yeah, it's just funny. And then, you know, as you and I were talking about a few minutes ago off the air, you know, in- inevitably you're probably going to have an 18-game regular season, which is for pro football fans not that big of a deal or not that – significant maybe nfl wise but but there are other league professional leagues like the cfl and the original usfl that played 18 regular season games in in fact if i remember right and i don't have the exact numbers in front of me reggie white you know arguably the greatest defensive lineman in nfl history or maybe i should say arguably the greatest defensive lineman in pro football history and i say that because in 1985 before he joined the philadelphia eagles after being drafted in the USFL supplemental draft, he basically played a full season in the USFL that spring with the Memphis Showboats. So I believe his regular season football game total that year exceeded 30. Now I'm just trying to look it up for you as you were talking, because I see here for him from 1985, he played 13 games with the Eagles, but I can't get a thing on how many actual games he played, for, like the any games in 85, excuse me, he played for the Showboats. I just see here that he started uh, 36 games and he racked up 23 and a half sacks. So that's, that's kind of a yeah, self-explanation of why he's one of the best. The I remember you'd be wrong on the USFL total as far as how many games he played that year. Maybe it was 16, maybe it was 17, maybe it was less and so on. And, and I know he wasn't the only player to do that, but um, it just goes to show you that, you know, the stamina and, uh, you know, what the, some of these athletes have had to endure. And it's just a matter of getting used to it and so on. And, you know, dare I say, you know, 17 regular season games where they all mean something. Again, something we talked about before. It wasn't, you know, back in the 70s, teams played six preseason games and 14 regular season games. As you can tell, the NFL always has kind of a 20-game block, okay? 
Yes. A few years, if you were the defending Super Bowl champion, get this, you actually played a seventh preseason game, and that was against the college All-Stars, um, a series that ended in the third quarter at Soldier Field in 1976 in the pouring rain, middle of a Steelers college All-Stars game, and then discontinued the series. So I believe one, I want to say in, in 1975 it would have been, the Pittsburgh Steelers played seven preseason games, 14 regular season games, and three postseason games, and won the Super Bowl. You know, like, because that's the thing, too, everyone's saying about how, oh, it's for, like, the, like everyone's looking at it from the player's point of view. But once you get a casual fan, like, you tell them, hey, you get an extra week of football, like, no one's going to say no. But at the same point, too, I, like, I said this to you last time when you were on, I believe, just after the season ended – that I learned so much from you and I'm learning that much more now because I had no idea personally about the whole uh, college all-star thing. And I feel like that's cool. Cause imagine they did that now where they'd like a, an all rookie class go up against oh, yeah. like the defending Super Bowl champs. Right. Well, imagine being in like uh, a top draft choice um, and playing against a team you're about to be employed by. So. Exactly. So for those few Tampa Bay Buccaneer draft picks this year, that'd be a very interesting uh, dynamic to see, Hey, how are my new teammates actually how like what are they actually like at football from like a my point of view? Right, exactly. Yeah. But the main reason why I wanted to get you on today is just because in about three and a half weeks from now, uh, the football world will descend on to Canton, Ohio for not only the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but the Pro Football Hall of Fame game featuring the Steelers and the Cowboys. And I just want to get more of your perspective on it because I know you're someone that's very dialed in and that's been to Canton. Um, so what does that weekend mean to you as a whole? Well, to me, the Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrinement is, um, you know, and look, people love to debate, well, he doesn't deserve to be a Hall of Famer. He doesn't this. I've never taken that point of view, Griff. Um, Listen, you might not think so, but once you are elected, okay, no one should be critical of that, okay? There are people get in for different reasons. Not everybody has the same career, not everybody compiles big numbers. It's more than numbers. It's impact on you. It's the eye test. There's so much that goes into it. But being at the enshrinement series um, ceremonies, and pretty much every year, with a few exceptions since 1989, and of course, we didn't have those last year because of COVID, the thing that always strikes me is that this is a weekend for these players or executives or coaches' families, Okay. Because in essence, they really sacrificed, okay? And you hear the player or the coach or the GM acknowledge that, okay? So many of these players have their old high school coaches come back or their former college coaches come back. But more so, it's their friends and their family. And it's a big celebration. It's very emotional. And, um, you know, I've seen some, the first year I went, it was, Willie Wood, Art Shell, Melvin, and Terry Bradshaw. And Terry Bradshaw gave one of the most famous speeches at the Hall of Fame. You know, what I wouldn't give to put Mike Webster's butt just one more time. Um, and so many other things, you know, emotional about Art Rooney, who had passed away the year before, the, you know, the owner of the Steelers. Um, and back in those days, Griff, that's when the ceremony was still on Saturday morning and it was on the steps of the hall. And, uh, you know, it had not moved to the stadium yet. The game was played later that afternoon. So much so much has evolved as far as the Hall of Fame ceremony. Now, of course, it's at the stadium with, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who attend. And, yeah, to me, it's a family event, you know, to watch 
um, those children watch their father um, be inducted and get this such a high honor. Um, you know, family members, brothers, sisters, you see how proud they are. Um, you know, to this day, they, the most emotional um, moment to me was when Shannon Sharp was inducted. And I, you know, I worked with Sterling when I was at ESPN. And Sterling, of course, had a magnificent career that was cut short by injury. Um, and, you know, when Shannon Sharp goes on the stage and says, I may be the only Hall of Fame member who's not even the best football player in his entire family. And his brother is sitting 40 feet away from him. That's hard to hold back tears. I know there's just some of those moments that just get you. Like even the other one too, like think of right away is uh, Chris Carter's impassioned speech where he had just that, he talked about his mom and then he had the Buckeye born and bred H and they even the most famous line from that was uh, the HOF for even after I'm dead, just like the whole, like the passion out of it. You could tell that they're truly, truly thankful and grateful and excited that they're there. And even to your point about family, it brings me to this year's because not apart from the inductions, the one part I love the most is the, da- the infamous David Baker knock. And I remember John Lynch basically thinking, you know what? I never thought this would be that like a big of a deal. But then when Baker showed up at his house and knocked and he's got like his parents and his whole family with his wife and his kids there. And you truly see that emotion come out. It just, it shows how special can making it to Canton is for these players. Well, I think I think I saw the clip. Charles Woodson was actually surprised at his home um, by David Baker and the crew and so on. And they've gotten, you know, they had to get a little more creative during COVID and so on. And of course, this is also a very different year because we didn't have the ceremonies. And last year was the year where we had the centennial class go in, which was basically class of 20 and now a class of eight. And I know some of the... Um, some of the enshrinements have done, I'm not sure how it's going to work out, but some of it was done for the the players that were no longer with us and so on uh, in ceremonies a couple of months ago and so on. So I, I, I don't know how that's going to affect Saturday ceremony. And then of course, now we have Sunday ceremony as well. And, um, you know, two amazing Hall of Fame classes uh, with the coaches. I mean, you know, you, you go through the list. Uh, you know, just of the current people and so on, you know, Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cowher, as far as coaches, um, you know, Troy Pop- Flores, uh, Charles Woodsman mentioned Peyton Manning. Let's not bury the lead. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's amazing class. You know, when I first started going, they would put the hall of fame members in alphabetically. And now it's changed a little. Um, they usually have a certain order they do. So I was talking to a, um, a friend the other day and, you know, I, I I don't think there's any prop bets on this, okay? But if I was a, a betting person, uh, I would guess that Troy Palomalu will be the last person to speak on Saturday night, and Peyton Manning might be the last person to speak on Sunday night. You know what? I, if I were a betting man, too, I'd put my odds in there. And even when you said the whole day to get creative for Charles Woods, I remember that they had the interview. Peyton Manning, even, too, they had – he was doing a commercial and then they had like his coaches from David Cutcliffe to his coach, mm-hmm. blanking on the coach he had at Tennessee, but then Tony Dungy, Gary Kubiak, all basically say words. And then Baker came up from behind him. And even too, you had the, with Bill Cowher and Jimmy Johnson, you had the surprises immediately where it was live on TV, where uh, yeah. it was a Saturday night CBS, David Baker showed up on set. And then the next day he went from New York to LA and surprised Jimmy Johnson and even with the players and the emotion, the Jimmy Johnson one just springs right away. You see Troy Aikman in the booth in Green Bay when he's 
thousands of miles away, but it's like the true emotion still poured out of him of how happy he was for his coach to finally get that call. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, in a different way, it's kind of like somebody walking up to your house from Publisher's Clearinghouse and saying you won the sweepstakes. Exactly, exactly. No, you're right. Like if someone's in your house, hey, we have a million dollars for you and you just like all this emotion comes out of you and all this stuff. And it's like I said before, it's like you, it's hardly ever you see these men cry, but that's one time they truly just, they let it all out because they're so proud of themselves. And even, you're right too, like the families and stuff, because even in a normal coat and a non-COVID year, you'd have them in the hotels in the Super Bowl cities and you'd have the cameras, but then you'd have a room full of people there waiting for them because they know that, hey, they're getting that knock. Right. Yeah. Um, but because like that's just the whole thing with Canton, I just love. And even too, like you have the museum aspect to it as well, where with the buses and everything. But I, I almost want to. I know it's a top secret. I've heard Peter King say it's like a top secret meeting. What actually happens in that room? But I feel like it's the biggest. You know, they always say the argument like a hundred drunk guys in a bar. I feel like that's like the ultimate, um, ultimate version of that, where it's just like all these reporters that are in a room discussing who needs to, who should go in and why. Like, I remember it was Peyton Manning, the reporter for Indianapolis basically just said, yep, no questions asked. Yeah, well, well you have you have 48 voters. Yeah. Uh, you have representatives from uh, each of the 32 teams. Um, you have 16 at-large members. And, and those at-large members, you know, include Hall of Famers, like James Lofton, uh, Dan Fouts, Bill Polian, and Tony Dungy are all on the voting committee. So, um, you know, the, the voting committee has evolved over the years and so on. Um, and yeah, to be a, a fly on the wall um, for something like that uh, would be absolutely amazing. Um, and, you know, you have people, you know, like John Clayton and Frank Cooney and Ira Kaufman and uh, Peter King and, and, and people who have been at this for an awful long time. So their historic perspective is very, very important. And, and, and this is about history. And some, some are more obvious than others. And some people have waited a long time. You know, Jerry Kramer waited 40 years before he finally got in. Um, you know, you have the old timers committee. I've, I've penned quite a few pieces on omissions over the years and hopefully they'll get in. My number one omission still to this day is Cliff Branch. Uh, the wide receiver for the Oakland Raiders. I hopefully he gets in one day, um, but it's tough. You know, the, the NFL was had a different name at the time in 1920, but that was the first season of his existence. Um, the first class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Griff, was not until 1963, so you're already behind the eight ball 40 years. So there's a lot of catch up too. And I always I always have to preface this as well because I I think I see this online more than anything else it is not the nfl hall of fame it is the pro football hall of fame it is not run by the nfl it is supported by the national football league okay so the nfl doesn't have a grudge against this team and that team and that team and if they did they have no influence it's up to the 48 viewers that's why voters that's why if you go to the pro football hall of fame you will see lists in there and records in there that are not the same as the NFL. Okay. They recognized the AAFC, for instance, a league that was in from 1946 to 49, which gave the NFL eventually the Cleveland Browns, the San Francisco 49ers, and one version of the Baltimore Colts, which later changed, kind of folded. And then we had the new version, the current franchise, which became 
1953, and I know I'm spitting out a lot of years and so on, but the Pro Football Hall of Fame recognizes Otto Graham's touchdown passes, you know, career-wise for both leagues, whereas the NFL doesn't doesn't do that. If that makes sense. No, it makes it makes complete sense to me to be honest. Because even to like as soon as you said that, it reminds me of when, as I know, I brought him up a lot, but I just I, for some reason I just love the huge man David Baker just given that knock he doesn't even say for all you've done for the NFL it's what you've done for the game and your commitment to the game he never mentions the league obviously he knows it's the league but he never says it's not like how like even all these hall of fames it's always the sport name how it's the pro football hall of fame but I just like it, like again you just reminded me of so many things of how I just wanted to mention the whole for the love of the game that's why like they do it that's why they want to do it and also too um, the other part he says is for everything you're going to do going forward for the game. It's for the game. It's never for the league. Well, you, you mentioned David Baker and we're talking about pro football. Remember David Baker, uh, his real roots were arena football, not the NFL. Okay. So again, they kind of encompasses and so on. I, for people who are fans, it's, it's, it's a bucket list trip. No question about that. You, it's something that you want to experience and you don't necessarily have to go the weekend of the enshrinement although i would highly recommend that and so on um but if you can get there and the nfl is you know it's not the nfl but the the pro football hall of fame i mean um you know there's a pro football hall of fame village there's still some construction going on um it's changed so much since i went there the first time in 1989 you know and you know you mentioned the cowboys and the steelers playing that's almost secondary to what's going to happen, uh, you know, over that three or four day period and so on. The jacket ceremony, which is very, very emotional when these guys get their gold jackets and so on. Um, And again, the speeches, you know, we mentioned Shannon Sharp, you mentioned Chris Carter. Um, I remember Curtis Martin going up there and just talking about life and his mother and so on and uh, how important that was, even opposed to football. I mean, he's getting the highest honor and he talked about real life. Um, you know, such stirring speeches from Bud Grant, who was so quiet on the sidelines as a coach and was almost giddy when I saw him when he got into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, it, it, it's something to experience. If you are a football fan, and I'm not, you know, I don't work for the Chamber of Commerce, um, and maybe I'm a little biased because I've been there so many times, it never gets old and it's always very special. You know what, though? You're right. Like, it's one of those things for me. Like, I know it's just outside of Cleveland. Like, I want to get there one day, and there's one pr- particular player when he goes in. I want to make the trek down for that. And if you don't know by now, that's a man who wears number – he currently wears number 12 on Tampa. But he was the quarterback for New England for 20 years, Tom Brady, and obviously he's the reason why I love this game and why it's led me to do such avenues as this podcast and conversations like you and I are having today. So for the day he goes in, when, whenever that is, hell, who knows? He gets to be playing in 20 years from now. I will. That's the one. That's the time I plan on making my trek down to Canton. Yeah, it's it, like I said, it's worth the trip and so on. And um, you might be waiting a while, unfortunately. So I know that's what I was, that's what I was saying. Hey, it could be the yeah, Tom doesn't be, show any signs of retirement, and even after he does, there's the five year waiting period. So um, you know, exactly. I'll say <laughs> well, it's like you wind up. Tom's going to wind up, and I don't know if he was there when Ty Law went in a couple of years ago. But Tom's going to probably wind up going to more ceremonies uh, before he actually gets to his own ceremony. Exactly, because I know the one player from the that Patriots early Patriots days that's still, in my opinion, should be in by now, but hopefully, in soon is uh, Richard Seymour from the. Yeah, I agree. Early, early I, think, days. I, 
I think Seymour should be because of the way the Patriots were structured over their 20 years uh, dynasty and so on, which isn't necessarily over. They've only had a little bump in the road here and so on. They might not get as many Hall of Famers in as you would think. Okay, Um, and that's you know, that's the remnants of free agency. Uh, You know, the San Francisco 49ers were another team. Um, They don't have necessarily a ton of Hall of Famers because their dynasty was spread out over, you know, basically 15 years, you know, but, you know, Terrell Owens, Steve Young, Joe Montana, Ronnie Lott, uh, Charles Haley. Um, it's, it's not like they're devoid. It's not like the Packers um, or the Steelers. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, or even the Kansas city Chiefs, the late sixties who have, when they beat the Vikings in Super Bowl four, six of their 11 defensive starters are in the pro football hall of fame. Think about that. Okay, Willie O'Neill, Bobby Bell, Buck Buchanan, um, Johnny Robinson, Emmett Thomas, and did I say Willie Lanier? Yes. Oh, okay, so I'm missing a oh, Curly Culp. So it's six, just, seven defensive starters are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's just, it's just wild to think about. Right. Yeah, but even to like, for example, this year, like how Drew Pearson's finally getting in after all this time when, and when he was in that room, like Jerry Jones got in before him. And even to like Roger Staubach's been in, I, I not, I'm just blanking on how, when he went in, but like, he's been in, like he went in so much earlier, but that was just one point I want to make. Like, look, just because it's a part of a dynasty doesn't mean you're going to get in, but as it pertains to Patriots, the only two from the early dynasty that aren't in at the moment, I still think should at least get in or make the semifinals is Seymour and uh, Rodney Harrison. Besides that, who knows who else can get in? Maybe one day Teddy Bruschi, but we'll see, but that may not be down the road. Like you see, like, for example, you're saying Jerry Kramer or how I said Drew Pearson. Like even two, like, yeah, like um, I mean, the, the Patriots had so many interchangeable parts. Okay. Um, and I guess you could say that Randy Moss, I mean, he, he had a brief stint with the Patriots and of course he's in and so on. Um, and eventually Bill Belichick. And I won't be surprised somewhere down the road as a contributor, Robert Kraft winds up in, in, in there as well. But it, you know, it's a con for the, because of the way the enshrinements uh, voting and, eligibility is set up they're constantly playing from behind and that's why you see like i do a list of 30 omissions i could probably do a list of 60 omissions and you'd have probably a tough time arguing with with any of them and so on and it's certainly debatable um so it's tough again they're a a little behind the eight ball maybe sometime down the road they change the rules as far as the um seniors committee there's people who talk about you know why they have like two senior committee members or three or whatever so on but it, it's it's interesting to watch but once you're in you're in and you know that that should never be taken away from anyone exactly and the one thing i wanted to say earlier is for as cool as it is i feel like to have the boss in the ring i feel like the gold jacket is like probably the most it seems like one of the more, like not noticeable, but like it's just one of the more cooler things. Like you said, how it's more sentimental because that's something that you can wear when you go to your teams. Like if you go back to a team facility, like the, to do a game, or you're there Super Bowl week, you see all the guys who are rocking their jackets. Like they're not just. It's not like one of those times. Yeah, you know what I'm going to wear it today. No, when you wear it, you probably it's a feeling you and I probably won't ever experience. But it's a just a feeling of pride of hey, look at me, I made it. I'm a Pro Football Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, listen, there are awards. That's the other thing that people, like, um, uh, I think John Facenda, you know, obviously has been gone for a long time, is going to get the Pete Rozelle Radio and Television Award. That, that, 
Pro Football Hall of Fame is for the pro, for the players and the contributors and so on. So, I mean, I've worked with guys who won the Pete Rosell Award or the Dick McCann Award or anything like that. They're not really considered Pro Football Hall of Famers, if that makes sense. Okay, I think baseball does things a little differently um, as far as the media and so on. That's not to take anything away. Um, you know, I, I work with two guys who richly deserve those awards, Chris Berman and Tom Jackson, and, you know, proud enough to have worked on a show with them for, um, you know, be it countdown or primetime for, you know, more than 20 years. So, um, but it's, it's a little different. Those are awards given out by uh, committees and so on, you know, that, then again, there, that's not to take away from what a special moment that is and so on. But, you know, some people get a little confused and understandably so. Um, but the whole itself, if you've ever been in there, those busts are the players, the coaches, and the contributors uh, to this amazing sport. Exactly, because I know the Pete Rozelle winner from last year was Joe Buck, and he becomes now him and his dad are the only father-son duo to mm-hmm. receive those awards as well. Just another point to add on. Yeah, and then you have the Dick McCann, the writing awards and so on, and uh, other words. Again, it's such a special uh, special time mm-hmm. um, for people who love the game and people who played it, um, you know, the general managers, the owners, the, you know, so much that goes into it and so on. And, uh, you know, there have been, you know, so many players who have played that will never get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, but you can see the pro, and they attend these ceremonies and the pride they show in their teammates and so on. And uh, the people, it, it, rarely if I've ever gone there at all, where a player doesn't have a list of just naming player after player after player that contributed his career, maybe even players that we, we, we don't even necessarily think so, not necessarily the big names, you know, guys who took a secondary role, but were instrumental in their development as not only players, but human beings as well. No, exactly. Because like they always say, it's not just that they got themselves there. They want to thank everyone who helped them get there because they know, hey, it's not just a one-person operation. Even though, like, often in football, you do things as an individual, but at the same time, too, you're always thankful for the team that's around you. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I just wanted to move on quickly, just uh, before we wrap up here, for us, obviously, it's like I say, this is the weird time of year where there's nothing really going on, but before we know it, training will camp will be here. And I actually realized – Let's see, the date today is the, um, the day, the 12th. And in two months, today will be the first Sunday of NFL football. So it's just something like, it's like, we're almost there. I feel like that marathon of an offseason is almost done, even though the NFL offseason is like, isn't unlike any other sport. Well, it's a different kind of year for training camp too. Um, all the training camps, I think with the exception of Pittsburgh and Dallas, who a couple of days earlier, I believe, the vast majority of training camps are all opening the same day, July 27th. Um, I'm trying to remember what Tampa's is. Tampa's might be a little different as well and so on. Don't quote me. Uh, but that's a little different. Usually we would get a list from the league and this team opens here and their rookies are coming in one day and uh, their veterans are coming in another day. No, everybody's kind of in the same boat this year as far as training camp. So the NFL is is, is going to be, if we do get to an 18-game regular season as we are now in 17 game regular season. One of the things I've always talked about is preparation for a season. You know, we saw last year with no preseason games, a lot of scoring, not a lot of defense. 
didn't seem like teams were all that affected. And I think players now are able to get in a lot of work in these OTAs and mini camps and the NFL just taking a closer and closer look in terms of safety and preparation to make their product better. And maybe you don't need to, you know, stand in, uh, I'm sorry, spend the summer sweating and I'm not saying, you, you know, you, you shouldn't sweat. I'm saying um, maybe the days of years and years ago, I mean, we know there's not as much contact in practices anymore in training camp and door and so on. Um, and maybe for duration, as we get to 17 and possibly an 18 game season, you're going to say, who knows, maybe even expanded rosters down the road as well. Uh, the NFL is evolving here um, and adjusting to the times. And, uh, you know, last year, in some ways, they were forced to adjust uh, because of what was going on in the entire world. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like this year is a bit of a normal. Like I've seen certain teams that are going to be doing uh, open practices to stay, uh, fans in their respective stadiums. Uh, you're going to have actual training camps where the public can go and watch. So, and the other thing too, just to add on, is that all 32 teams are going to have fans in the stands this year. So it's like little things are going to make a difference like that. And even the other thing to point out is the whole injuries last year that happened, like with a limited training camp, uh, you saw a lot, unfortunately saw a lot more guys who tore their ACLs because there was a lot more prominent stars or even Achilles, just hopefully uh, a full training camp and a proper preseason can get and have these guys game ready come week one, which is like I said, folks, two months today for every team that's not the Buccaneers and the Cowboys and the Raiders and the Ravens. Yeah, it's it, it, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, we don't even have a Monday. We don't even have the Monday doubleheader this year that we had for the last you know ten plus years and so on. So, uh, different season, different schedule, a lot of excitement. Be interesting to see if home field advantage returns to the league. It wasn't much of a factor in 2019. Griff um, combined home records, teams finished just nine games above 500, even with crowds. Last year. Home teams combined were below 500. Um, so it will be interesting to see if that makes a dramatic switch as well. I think for certain teams who you may have seen struggle a little bit in 2020, it may, but I don't think it's going to be like a vast improvement. Like I think just maybe like a small majority of the teams in the league are going to truly have the effects of a home field advantage more than more so than others. Well, the bottom line is this stadiums don't make tackles, catch passes, um, pass block. Um, get sacks. Uh, there's something to it to a degree as far as enthusiasm and momentum and so on. Um, but home field advantage has kind of dwindled around the league. Uh, and and uh, should I say maybe in all sports, you don't see the impact that it used to have. You, you know what? I, I like that. Like, you're right. Like all, all the fans can do is when the announcer comes on and says, it's third down, get loud, make noise. And you can make the noise. Like the fans can feel like they contributed to it. But at the same time too, you don't like, you're right. They're not the ones out there who are have to go after the quarterback, who have to pass protect, who have to uh, run after a wide receiver who's trying to make a pass player or tackle a running back. It's like, I, lo I love that metaphor, honestly. Just yeah. saying at the end of the day, the player's got to do the player's job. That's exactly right. Uh, well, anyway, uh, Russell, it's been a blast getting to talk to you. I always say this. I always learn something new from you. It was great talking about the Pro Football Hall of Fame and just the upcoming season in general. But um, before we go, if you want to plug your uh, – just uh, once again, shout out your Twitter. And then um, if you have a prediction for the season you'd like to see come true, you can share it with, uh, with the audience as well. Well, not really. It's still a little too early. I'm working actually on some 
divisional previews and so on. But as far as my uh, Twitter account, it's Backs Football Guru. I always like to uh, like to plug my uh, you know, writing partner and um, podcast mate, and we're hoping to do some things in Canton um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, Julie noted PFG and PFG Vibe. Um, you know, keep an eye on those. Give us a follow on Twitter as well. Um, and Pro Football Guru, which is now part of full press coverage. Um, my site is on there. And, uh, you know, my usual work for Fanside and NFL Spin Zone, full press coverage. Uh, great catching up with you. And before you know it, it'll be October and week seven. You know what? For as much as I love to hear that at the same time, too, part of me hates it because for as, <laughs> as long as much as we wait for the season to come back, you can snap your fingers and it's the middle of February. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it goes from who do you think is going to be in the Super Bowl? And in the blink of an eye, who's going first in, in, in the NFL draft? Exactly. From the, It's basically like, hey, like in two months, we're going to be in Tampa for opening night. And then like the same thing too. It's, oh, hey, look, we're in LA. Exactly. <laughs> well, anyway, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 96 of YWC Football Talk. Russell, it was a pleasure getting to talk to you once again. And uh, we'll talk soon. You got it, sir. Right, have a good night. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.